Well, it's our last week of Global Missions Month. We are so excited for what God has done and how he's blessed and all that we've learned this month. Amen. I can say myself that I have been a challenge to go even deeper uh, in the call of Christ to reach the needs of the lost. Amen. Today, we are going to land this plane um, by focusing on our ministry's domestic, uh, one of our ministry's domestic areas of focus, which is human trafficking. And the word of God tells us that we ought to be a voice for the voiceless. Amen. God has a heart for those uh, who have been enslaved, who have been exiled. And so we are so excited this morning to have Zoe Ministries back with us this year. If y'all remember last year, Sister Tanya was here, and it was so powerful, so passionate. Well, we are blessed today to have the executive director of Zoe Ministries, Yolanda Slayback, here with us this morning. So I just want to open with a quick word of prayer, read her bio, and bring her right up so that we can get started. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we are so thankful, Lord. We're just grateful, God, that you decided to wake us up this morning to give us, Lord God, once again, an opportunity to worship you in the splendor of your holiness. God, we ask that you would continue to break our hearts for what breaks yours. Lord, we want to be obedient to all of your word. And so this time is a call to action to, to follow through on the mandate that you've given us. And Father, we ask that you would open our ears, our hearts, our minds to do exactly what you tell us to do. Speak through Yolanda this morning. We're thankful, God, in advance for all that we're going to learn and apply. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So Yolanda is a registered nurse having worked in labor and delivery and NICU. Uh, she, she earned a bachelor's degree in organizational leadership and management from Regent University in 2004, then graduated from Liberty University with a master's in human services and counseling. Yolanda attended the University of Maryland, earning a certificate in working with survivors of violence, trauma, and torture. She is currently enrolled in a doctoral program for counseling and trauma. Yolanda served as a member of Delaware's Human Trafficking Coordinating Council and co-chair of the Victim Services Committee from 2015 to 2017. She is the founder of DELCAT, the Delaware Coalition Against Human Trafficking, which we are blessed to have come alongside and, and are now a part of. Yolanda is the founder and has served as executive director of Zoe Ministries Incorporated since 2012, when the organization received 501c3 status. For the past several years, she has spent her time engaged in public awareness, professional training, and education to highlight the reality of human trafficking on Delmarva. The organization's goal is to partner with organizations in the community to bring long-term housing, services, and aftercare for minor trafficking survivors in Delaware. So why don't we give Yolanda a warm New Direction welcome. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. I am really glad to see you. And I know this is a really tough topic to hear about, but it's one that's really, really necessary, and I'm really glad to see you young ladies here this morning. 
Um, a lot of people think that this doesn't happen here in the United States or that human trafficking doesn't happen in Delaware, but I'm here to tell you, and working in this in the last seven years, I have seen this in every, in every county and in every city. And we are now having sort of a statewide awareness that we didn't have before, so you're gonna see a lot more now in the news. Um, there's more law enforcement training, so it's been really exciting um, to see how God has delivered on his promise to bring this uh, to Delaware, and he has given me the charge that he is gonna work through me to develop an infrastructure in our state that is nowhere in the country yet, but we're the first state. So we're gonna be the model Amen. for the other states to look to, Amen. and we can do it. Yes. We're less than a million people, we're three counties. If we can't get our stuff together in a small state like this, how do we expect the bigger states in the nation to be able to build a structure. So that means we have to lay down our pride, lay down our egos, share our resources, get on our knees humbly and pray, asking for direction and for Jehovah Jireh to, to provide Amen. everything it is that we need to build the system because it is the body of Christ that is gonna rise up and come Amen. against this because we're not dealing with flesh and blood here. We're not against the traffickers. They have become involved in something that became bigger than they are. Mm. They're acting out of who they believe themselves to be just like the rest of us do. So they need prayer and help and redemption just like the victims do. Amen. So we're gonna start, before I start preaching, <laughs> we're gonna start um, talking about uh, human trafficking and what it looks like. Can you hear me okay? I'm loud and clear? Okay. I had um, surgery on my vocal cords about two weeks ago, and so I'm still kind of recovering, so I can't project. So if you're having a hard time hearing me, I'll try to hold the microphone closer. So human trafficking is modern-day slavery, and it has been against the federal law since the passage of the TVPA, or the Trafficking Victims Protection Act, that was passed in 2000. Now, there's been several reauthorizations since then, but when I started this work, in 2011, 2012, we had zero arrests or prosecutions under the federal law. And we didn't even have a state law against trafficking. So one of the directives God gave me was, I'm gonna put you in position to help pass our first state legislation. So I'll tell you how that happened. So human trafficking occurs with the exploitation of the victim. It does not require movement as a requisite. So while human smuggling and human trafficking can intersect and overlap, they are not the same crime. So um, smuggling is a violation against the border. Human trafficking is exploitation of the person. So you can traffic somebody in your own house. So we have familial trafficking here in Delaware. So we have children and grandchildren being sold by family members for sex in exchange for food or money or drugs or shelter. And it's happening all over Delaware. So this is the heat map that I saw back in 2011. And this heat map has a little red dot for every phone call that came in for either suspected trafficking or actual trafficking cases. Now this is what I saw the end of 2011. You can't even see Delaware, 
because it's covered in red. That's the I-95 corridor. And on the 95 corridor, as you well know, that comes right through this town, it's really easy to move people from one state to another in an hour to an hour and a half or two. You can be in five different states from where we're standing right now. And that's one of the things that the traffickers do is they keep them constantly on the move so that they can't plant their feet anywhere and their victims can't reach out for help. And most of the time they don't even know where they are because they move them around so quick. So when I saw that, and I knew we didn't have any arrests or prosecutions under the federal law, and I knew we didn't have state law. And God said, now's the time to move. And I said, yes, sir. And so I've just kept taking the steps that he's asked me to take, and we've had some really faithful prayer warriors, and I would ask that you join that team of prayer warriors because we are blazing a trail that has never been blazed before in Delaware. So where does trafficking occur? Today, I'm going to highlight specifically massage parlors and escort services and online exploitation. We're going to talk a little bit about how traffickers can lure um, people, specifically young people, into this kind of lifestyle. Um, but there is labor trafficking as well. So the plurality of the trafficking globally is for labor. But in the United States, no surprise to us, the plurality of trafficking is for sex. So the estimates and the, the stats are really hard to come by because this is such an insidious, evil kind of crime. But we know that it generates billions of dollars around the world and billions of dollars in the United States. So the Department of Justice defines trafficking as the recruitment, harboring, transportation, providing, or obtaining of a person for a commercial sex act in which that act is induced by force, fraud, or coercion, or if the person is not yet 18 years of age. And I'll break that down in just a little bit. But labor trafficking has the same definition, it's just obviously for different purposes. So it may be a Chinese buffet, it may be a nail salon, it may be domestic servitude, it may be migrant workers out in a watermelon field. There's a lot of different ways that can look, especially in Delaware, because our Newcastle County looks so different than our Sussex County. So the, the takeaway is with the federal law that if you are 17 years of age or younger and you're exchanging sex for anything, you're automatically a trafficking victim. You only have to prove force, fraud, or coercion if you are 18 years of age or older. Now this was federal law since 2000. We didn't have a state law that matched this. According to our state law, you could still charge a child with prostitution. And God said that needed to change. So let's look at the means. When we talk about force, fraud, or coercion, we're talking about the means that the traffickers use to keep control of their victims. So they may lure them into a relationship at first. It may be what they call either a romantic or Romeo pimping, where they pull it in closer. Is that, is that better? I'm hearing a lot of feedback. OK. Can you all hear me better now? Forgot where I was. 
Oh, Romeo pimping, sorry. Yeah. Um, so oftentimes they will lure them into relationship um, through romanticism or Romeo pimping. It's not usually the gorilla pimping like you see in, in the movie Taken, you know, that's more international. It's more alluring in. And we'll talk more about how they do that. But once they're lured in, oftentimes what happens is they say, okay, baby, you and I are going to run off and get married when you turn 18. And we need to save up some money. So your part of saving up money is to go sleep with this date. And then he's going to give you 50 bucks. And then you're going to give that to me. And I'm going to keep it. And she might say, OK, because she's already been abused or she's already been raped. And she's been told that smart girls don't give it away for free. So now she sees the value in selling her body. And it's a very skewed perception, but you can see how easily that shift is made when somebody's already had abuse in their background. Or she might say, no, I'm not willing to do that. In which case, the force, fraud, or coercion kicks in. And then she's maybe beaten, or she may be gang raped, or she may be tortured, or she may already be on heroin and he just threatens to withhold the heroin or sleep deprivation. There are modes that they use that don't leave a mark, but it's very easy to control somebody. Coercion includes um, threats to their life or family members or friends' lives. Often when they're in the dating or the luring stage, they figure out where they live, who their friends are, who their loved family members are, and then they threaten to hurt or kill one of them if she doesn't comply. Now, you will notice that I, I use he a lot for perpetrators. Let me be clear. There are females that are perpetrators as well. And there are males that are victims. And there are males, boys and men, that are sex trafficking victims. They're not just labor victims. And we miss them often because of the stigma that we have in our society, and they often don't come forward. And even with female victims, they don't self-identify as a victim. If you, if you suspect and you ask somebody, are you a human tra trafficking victim, they're going to not have a clue what you're talking about because they don't see themselves that way because they're in love with their boyfriend. They're in love with the daddy or the uncle. And they see him as somebody who is walking along life with her, and they're making money together. So it's a very skewed perception. So that's how they get them lured in. And then if they don't do what they're supposed to do in their agreement, that's where the force, fraud, or coercion kicks in. But if you're 17 years of age or younger, and you're caught in a commercial sex act, no need to prove force, fraud, or coercion. You are automatically a trafficking victim. So remember I said the state law needed to change? The state law changed. <laughs> so this was, this was our first passage of our first human trafficking law back in 2014 uh, that Governor Markell signed. Um, and the Senate Bill 197 um, passed in June 2014. And then between 2016 and 2018, we had a few more pieces of legislation passed. So what I've done is I have put a synopsis in, in your folders, and you can take this home and look at it later. 
but there's going to be a lot of information I give you, and you're not going to retain it. So if you look at these, it'll help refresh your memory. And what I've done is I've typed up a synopsis of every single bill that has passed for human trafficking in the state of Delaware. And there's just a little blurb on each one so you know um, what the different trafficking bills are. This just happened last week, just a few days ago. On Thursday, we had two bills pass. And the one bill said that our minors in Delaware now cannot be arrested for prostitution if they're 17 years of age or younger. So now our state statute matches our federal statute, which was a huge win for us. Yeah, yeah. So um, H. Bill 102 um, was, is a little more complex and complicated than that, but oftentimes what happens is in the trafficking situation, maybe these girls are hungry and don't have any food because they don't feed them very often, and they go steal something from Walmart or from a drugstore, or they're forced to do a drug exchange, or they're forced into petty theft, or some kind of minor assault charge. Unless it is a violent felony, what H. Bill 102 says is that all of those records can be clean. If you, if you can show that you were a trafficking victim and you, and you made those you've committed those crimes under duress or under his control, then all of that can be expunged and we can vacate convictions based on this legislation, which is really important because if we have a 19-year-old with a criminal record who then we say, okay, we see that you were a victim of trafficking, but we don't clear her record, what's gonna happen when she goes to get a job or housing or education? She's got nothing and she's 19 or 20 years old, and what does she have? Nothing. So acknowledging her victimization is not enough. We gotta put some teeth into that and say, we're gonna help you jump from here into the future and give you everything we can give you and clean off your record. So that bill was really, really important. That was a big one. So if we look at um, how do we prevent this, we have to look at who's at risk. So as you look at that list, Think about all the people in Delaware and in your communities that you work with and that you live with and that you know and that may be in your own families that would fall in any of those categories. Foster care kids are at exponential risk for being trafficked because they've already had abuse. They've already had trauma, which is why they were placed into foster care. And we have some wonderful foster care families, but not all of them are so wonderful. And so sometimes there's abuse then in that home as well. So then they run, because they have no family, they have no home base. And who do you think's waiting? With shelter and food and telling them I love you baby, you're beautiful, and all those things that they've never heard before, that they just fall right into the arms of predatory pimps. So I alluded to this a little bit earlier, but in the minds of these survivors, many of them, relationship equals abuse. Sexual abuse has consistently been identified as a robust risk factor for involvement in commercial sex. The majority of youth who have been identified as being exploited in commercial sex had prior welfare involvement due in part to exposure to sexual abuse. So again, that for those formative years, they're being sexually abused, so they're being taught that whoever's gonna take care of me is going to hurt me. And now this one that's going to hurt me is telling me I'm actually valuable to him. Now I'm worth something and I don't have to give it away for free. 
can you hit the play button on this one? was perfect for a teenager. I was a cheerleader in high school, and I, I loved my school. I had all my friends. Um, you know, I, I I felt like I had a good life. And then um, we just up and had to move one summer, and it was, it was like my life was over when I was a teenager. I never experienced racism like that before, where somebody, you know, called me the N-word. And um, I was... I was raped as a teenager from high schoolers. And it was more than one person? Yes. I was too ashamed, like it was my, it was my fault. Um, the next day, you know, he like, just so coldly, like threw my belt at me and dropped me off and, um, God, I remember him just like not even making eye contact with me. Like I just wasn't a person. And I was like, uh. That was how I lost my virginity. And I was like, ugh. Kind of just shut off sex as something that I didn't connect this deep trauma to. You know, so like I deal with a PTSD and I was really upset and uncomfortable, overwhelmed, I kind of fell off the deep end. And my husband, he would kind of come to me with a lot of money and tell me how he got this money and that I, um, you know, kind of that I'd be really good at doing that, the prostituting. When they said cut on a porn scene, I'm like, all right, done. I don't have to, you know, be your fluffer. Like, this is not my job. Like, you take care of that, and uh, but when you're alone in a room with somebody, it's like that was me that was doing it, and I had to disassociate so much. I um, started drinking more. I started eating less. I was taking Adderall and Xanax and whatever pill I could take. I had to put on this persona or this, you know, because I have I had a different name while prostituting, so when I was using that name, I wasn't me. I didn't want to be me. There's Malia, who's 15 years of me, and then there's Noelle, you know? And so when I would become Malia, it was like, I wasn't Noelle, and I didn't feel anything, and I didn't care, I, you know, I, it was just totally detachment. You go into a different world. You know, during the sex acts, I'm disconnected. I didn't look at it like it was my body. I just wanted to get it done and over with. Drink, smoke, act like somebody I wasn't. To be 
18 and have to had an eating disorder for three years and then to be in front of a camera like every inch of your body that kind of made the eating disorder a lot more intense and the only people I really could uh, could be around were other people that were in porn that were in that in that life and we called everybody else civilians when they start saying things like slut whore bitch words like that you can tell things are going to go bad i've been raped i don't even know how many times i mean i have no idea no clue i remember like not really being able to move my body much but i remember that there were four other uh players in the bedroom they had their way with me and then I woke up and one of them was ironing his white t-shirt next to me and just acted like I wasn't there. What was I gonna do? Say, oh my God, this team, which like America loves football, raped this porn star and America hates porn people, you know? Like who was gonna believe me that that happened? Yeah, so that was when I went, you know, this is, this is my life now. This is what I've signed up for. Everything is so raw, so hurting, that even though I knew that the drugs would destroy me, I still used them to self-medicate. I had to, like, do sex work to pay for my rehab and didn't want to address the effects of sex work in the rehab. I had a woman one time tell me, I don't, I don't have a physical trafficker anymore. I have heroin as my trafficker. I couldn't do those things that I would do with those men unless I was high. And I would just sit in the bathtub, sit in the water, let the water run on me and clean myself for like an hour because I just felt disgusting and then I would get out and get high because I didn't want to think about it. As soon as um, a person that I'm with wants to be sexual, I detach. I'm not there. I'm not there. I don't know how to be there. Yeah, I've been married. It causes major problems within the relationship because I, I'm just not there and it makes them feel bad. It makes me feel bad too. I wish I could be there, but I can't. Not yet. So do you feel the trauma? So when our newspapers report that we've arrested and jailed a drugged out hooker, do our perceptions change a little bit after seeing this? Like we understand a little better their hearts and where they're coming from and the hurt and the trauma. And this is complex compound trauma because it's multiple abuse, multiple rapes, in a day, every single day for weeks and months and sometimes years. And it takes a really long time to unpackage all that because it takes a couple years for somebody to even trust you enough to start unpacking it. Which is why it's the spirit of God that is going to bring healing. Because if the government and the state had an answer for this, we wouldn't be in the mess that we're in.
So when I was told in 2014 that we didn't have this issue here in our state, I went next door to Maryland to their Human Trafficking Task Force, their Victim Services Committee, and I said, what are you all seeing? Because whatever you're seeing in Maryland, we are seeing in Delaware. And so they have a full-time Human Trafficking Task Force that's law enforcement based, and these were their findings. So in one year, they reported identifying and providing services to 396 survivors of trafficking. The year before that, there was 217. And that's with a full-time task force looking for this, and it's still almost doubled. Out of the 396 survivors, 381 of those were for sex. And out of the 381 for sex, 373 were US citizens. And over half of them were children. So when we talk about domestic minor sex trafficking, we are talking about US citizens buying and selling other US citizens to other US citizens on our soil. And in this study, over half of them were children. So these are words from a survivor. Being in foster care was the perfect training for commercial sexual exploitation. I was used to being moved without warning, without any say, not knowing where I was going or whether I was allowed to pack my clothes. After years in foster care, I didn't think anyone would want to take care of me unless they were paid. So when my pimp expected me to make money to support the family, it made sense to me. So when they're talk she's talking about the family, she's talking about this pseudo family structure that the trafficker, AKA pimp, will set up where he's the daddy, the uncle, the boyfriend, and he controls the quote stable of girls. There might be three or four or five girls in a stable. And in that pseudo family structure, out of that stable of girls, usually one of them sort of rises up as a leader or as the most loyal or he considers her the most dependable. And so she's called the bottom or the bottom bitch. So she has to keep the other girls in line or she gets in trouble. So there's just a real pinball effect of, of triggers going on in that home, even when it's supposed to be the, the safest place that they have. And when there's, she's talking about um, supporting the, the family by making money, there's a quota that every survivor has to meet. And the average quota in the United States per day is between 500 and $1,000 a day. And if she doesn't make it, that's where the force, fraud, and coercion piece comes back. And she learns to not come back without that money. So a very common method for traffickers to use, especially with young people, is social media. People have no idea. Girls, you cannot put yourselves out there and your troubles and pictures of yourselves and talk about your family and think that there are not perpetrators who are scouring those websites looking for you. They are looking for you. They know exactly what to look for and they know exactly how to lure you in and they will pretend to be one thing and then show up to be something else every single time. Oh, we lost our sound. Can we start Special guy. I can't believe we haven't talked all day. I wish you went to my school or a little closer so we could finally meet. Take it up. Dinner in an hour. Don't spend too long on the phone. Okay, bye. 
I know you've been waiting for this for a while. So I wanted to give you something special. So that's known as sexploitation, but that's one way you can see how easy it would be to, for a trafficker to, to go from that and say, meet me at the mall. Or when you put out posts that say, I hate my mom, my dad's in prison, I would run away if I had a place to go. And then two days later, you say you're going to be at the mall watching a movie. And then some really handsome, charming, smell good guy walks up to you in line in the movie. Can't believe you're by yourself, baby. You are beautiful. What are you doing here by yourself? I'm by myself, too. Can I sit with you? And he buys her popcorn and takes her out for ice cream afterwards and starts building a relationship with her for months until he lures her in, and then it's too late. So traffickers' motivation is always profit, always. This is a multi-billion dollar a year industry. It used to be third behind drugs and weapons, but now it surpassed weapons and is second only to drugs. Because with weapons, you sell them one time and make a profit. But a human body, you can sell over and over and over and over again until they are discarded or they die. So traffickers are just like trafficking victims. They can be absolutely anybody. They can be male or female. They can be adults or minors. They can be domestic. They can be foreign nationals. They can be gang members. They can be somebody that you just met on social media. Can be a family member. Can be somebody sitting in the same church pew with you every single Sunday. There are pastors and attorneys and doctors and teachers, it doesn't matter. The list goes on and on and on. As many people as there are, there are that many ways to traffic somebody. 
So this is a case that happened um, in Georgetown. I'm not gonna read all of this. I'll just kind of give you a brief synopsis. This guy's a 33-year-old Georgetown man who convinced the family of a 14-year-old girl to let her come to America with him for better education, better future. They spent every last time they had to give her their daughter the American dream. He also convinced an adult male in his 20s to come with him from Mexico. And when they both got here, the male was labor trafficked. She was probably labor and sex trafficked. And they were living in a shack, a literal shack built with two by fours, no running water, no heat, no nothing in his backyard. And when the police showed up, they were, they were coming to him for investigating him for something else and happened to see this 14-year-old girl sleeping in the shack. So it turns out that this 14-year-old girl was being sexually abused by the labor victim. So she's being trafficked out who knows what all hours of the day and night. And then when she comes home to her safe place in this trafficker's shed, she's being abused by the other trafficking victim. So they removed her, and DFS, of course, got involved and placed her in foster care. Now, I said we have some wonderful foster care families, but even with the most well-intentioned foster care families and hearts that want to give and help and serve, we're not equipped to deal with this kind of complex compound trauma with these kids. We can't take somebody out of a situation and put them in a safe place and think, okay, we've done our part. They're good now. They're safe. That's like me going and standing in a garage and saying, now I'm a car. We have to offer wholeness and healing and wraparound services and therapy and education and everything that these victims need to give them their life back. So this is a case in 2014. Now keep in mind, this was the same year that we passed our legislation in Delaware. In Maryland, since they're years ahead of us right now when it comes to trafficking, um, they rescued, I don't like the word rescue, and I'll explain why later, but I'm reading what it says. Maryland State Police say they've rescued two women being held against their will for prostitution. Police said that the Maryland women were, um, I can't see that without my glasses, 20 and 25 years old, and that one of them sent a text message on Sunday to her family for help, and they called the police. So they ended up arresting a 33-year-old man and a 23-year-old man on two counts of trafficking, kidnapping, false imprisonment, possession of heroin. Now, this is where prostitution crosses over the line into trafficking. Okay, let's look at the last paragraph. The women told police that they initially agreed to have Anthony arrange clients for them. Prostitution. Willing sex workers. But that he beat one of them on Sunday and threatened to kill her. Force brought her coercion. That's where it crosses over into trafficking. Police say the women feared for their lives. So this is another case um, the next year. Um, Salisbury, Maryland, 36-year-old Bridell was sentenced to 143 years in prison for trafficking. He would kidnap women and force them to prostitute themselves 
um, at this particular hotel on Route 13 in North Salisbury. Many of the women he kidnapped were heroin addicts, so he used those addictions against them, only giving them heroin if they hit a certain amount of clients every day. So they had to meet their quota or they didn't get their heroin. And if they're not already addicted to heroin, they get them quickly addicted to heroin. Um, anybody heard of RubMaps? It's a, a website. I don't want you to go to these websites. That's why I put them up here, because I don't want you to go to these websites. I am showing you that they are here, but I don't want them in your URLs, okay? Um, and I don't want it in your hearts and in front of your eyes either. But around the perimeter of this, if you were to do RubMaps Delaware, it would just pop up. Like my 11-year-old son could access this. And around the perimeter of, of these ads, there are live sex chat rooms and videos and pictures and a lot of really vile, evil imagery. But can you see at the top where it says, in less than one second, 34,000 results popped up? So this is basically a website that uses um, parlors as a front for trafficking. So it may be like an Asian massage parlor, might be Chinese foot massage, might be aromatherapy, might be a nail salon. But once you start knowing what these salons look like, you're gonna start seeing them. Because a lot of these salons pop up and they don't even need a website. I passed dozens of them on my way up here from Greenwood this morning in my hour and a half long trip to get here. So they may look like they're in a storefront um, but you don't see like the normal activity in and out, like a regular business, people going to lunch, going to the post office, going in and out the front door. People usually park five stores down and then walk or they park around the back. Or you may see a little brick house that has a flashing open sign at 10 o'clock at night or a little house that has um, an aromatherapy sign or a, a picture of an Asian woman laying down getting a massage or something like that. And you just kind of have this check in your spirit and you think something is not right, but I can't quite figure out what it is. So often what happens in these massage parlors, and as you can see, they're in every single city and every single county. And on the bottom, you'll see the association with Backpage. We'll talk about that in just a second. But you can see all the different salons. So if you click on one of these links, something like this will pop up. So this one I think I clicked on Lewis, and it gives you the address, the phone number, and then it has like Asian massage or aromatherapy listed there. See where the white, the yellow stars are for reviews? So sex buyers will leave reviews after they've had an experience there so that if you're a sex buyer and you want to look around and check out reviews and see what kind of services they have, you can go on and look. So this is another example. Um, you can see by the picture on top they are not selling pedicures. And this is a typical review that I'm not going to read, um, but I want you to see that they are rated on their sexual services, on their body parts, how old they are, what kind of services they gave, and how good they were at it. 
it's, it's very, very vile. So this was a year after our state legislation passed, and we still had zero law enforcement training statewide. So one of these massage parlors got busted because a man called the police and said, look, I was in there getting a massage, and this woman offered me a happy ending at the end of my massage. And if I'd have paid her money, she would have given me sex. So there's prostitution going on in there. So undercover agents showed up in street clothes. Same exact thing happened. Now, if you don't have the filter of trafficking, what do you think is going to happen when he walks in and it's only the two of them in the room and she offers sex for money at the very end? And she's an adult. She's going to get arrested for prostitution. And that's exactly what happened in Delaware. And anytime you see um, somebody from Flushing, New York, do you see on the bottom it says Ms. Zhang, 47 of Flushing, New York? She was issued a summons for prostitution and then released. But Flushing, New York is always a red flag because when they come in from China or Asia, they come in, they fly into a place near LaGuardia called Flushing, New York. And it is there that they are sold to their traffickers and all their IDs and documents and visas are taken away. And they are then told, you're gonna work for me now. And it cost me 10 grand to get you here. And now this is how you're gonna pay me back. And they stick them in one of these venues and they charge them room rent and exorbitant fees. And they can never, ever, ever pay it back. And often they don't speak English. So their only interpreter is their trafficker, and they have no documents now. So there's always a threat of deportation held over their head or arrest or killing or hurting a family member back home because they know exactly where they came from. So they get here, and then they're stuck with no way to get out. So this is, whoa, what was that? <laughs> I Okay, was that the Holy Spirit telling me I need to hurry up? I don't know. All right, let's back up. Can we back up? Can you back me up in there, IT people? There we go. Giving away all my stuff here. Okay, I'm not sure where we were, but um, this is a, a case where an adult couple from Caroline County, Maryland, brought a 15-year-old girl less than a mile away from my office in Sussex County to a hotel and sold her for sex to an elderly man. They injected her with heroin and then take her from hotel to hotel to sell her for sex. Now, even, we know this is trafficking, but even if it was prostitution, say this was an adult, and this still was prostitution. Look at the imbalance and the injustice in our newspapers when a prostitute is arrested. Oh, she was sold to sex to an elderly man. Whose picture and name and age and where they're from is plastered all over the paper? The prostitutes. But if it's illegal to be a prostitute, it's also illegal to be a sex buyer of a prostitute. But they're protected. You don't get a name a picture, nothing. That needs to change. Um, here's a case where um, two teenagers 
um, were found in a hotel by traffickers um, with our five-person, very, very part-time human trafficking law enforcement task force. One of my goals with next year's legislation is to have a full-time law enforcement-based statewide human trafficking task force. We'll see what happens. Um, but anyway, this just tells a little bit more about the case and how they sold the girls. Here's another case. Remember on the Dover Air Force Base when we had airmen that were selling teenagers out of their rooms for sex to other airmen? That very week when this came out, I was on the Dover Air Force Base doing a training on trafficking. And the whole time there was this investigation going on and none of us knew it. And then a few days later it came out. So here's another case where two Delaware men plead guilty to trafficking a 15-year-old girl. Um, these two girls that were trafficked by, by this Dover man, they were at Murphy's school, ran away from Murphy's school, and he snatched them up. So here is um, a few pictures of brandings or tattoos. These are very specific to trafficking. So they brand their victims for two reasons. The first one is the most obvious, the psychological manipulation, right? We have 10 minutes, I gotta hurry. Um, so basically it says, I own you, you're my property, I can do with you whatever I want, you're mine. The second reason they do it is in case they run or are rescued by someone or law enforcement and they are then found later on the street somewhere, the pimp or the gang will know who to return them to by the, by the tattoo. So it can be anywhere on the body, but it's almost always the name of the gang or the name of the pimp. Bottom left is King Tay, bottom right is Lay Low, and then above that is one and only Lay Low. So those are two girls from the same stable that were branded by the, by the trafficker. So here's a few more examples. So I want you to, if you remember nothing else, let this burn in your mind. On the left, see our two teenage girls here? Okay, they're in the luring stage. They have no idea what they're about to get into. Five to seven years later, follow it all the way to the right, and now we have an adult, drug-addicted, trafficking victim. Now, if the one on the left comes to you and says, I'm selling myself for sex and I'm on drugs. We're gonna feel compassion for her because she's a kid and she doesn't really know what she's getting into. And she looks fairly respectable. Five to seven years later, same girl, if she survives, ends up looking like that. And then our compassion wanes a little bit and we'd rather see her in prison. Um, this next portion is on trauma, which I'm not, I'm not going to go into just because we don't have time. Um, I will tell you, I didn't get to talk about Backpage. I have about three hours of information that I can't give in about 50 minutes, so I apologize. But um, if, if you know of somebody or you suspect somebody's being trafficked, there's two phone calls you need to make. The first one is the 1-800 number. It puts another little red dot on that map, and that number is in your folders. Um, and then Lauren Arnold um, came from DFS to the Salvation Army. She is running their statewide program now for adults. 
So they have emergency shelter. They can offer them food and water and beds and do some case management with them. And then eventually they want to open a home for adult women. So those are the two phone calls that you need to make. And we're going to skip over that. And this is, um, this is me. This is Zoe Ministries. Um, our goal is to open an aftercare home for girls ages 12 to 17 who have been trafficked and in from Delaware. That's our, that's our phase two. And we're honing in right now on some property mid-state that we can do that, but we need funding. So we need a lot of prayer and a lot of money. Um, our first phase, though, will be that we will be purchasing uh, equine farm, a horse farm, so that we can not only do equine therapy with our girls, but we can also offer horse therapy to CASA kids in the state and foster care kids in the state, anybody who's been traumatized that maybe DFS or a CASA worker or a social worker would say, I think they'd really benefit from this kind of therapy because sometimes kids don't respond as well like to talk therapy. But you put them with a horse or an animal with a licensed clinician and God can do amazing, amazing things. So that's gonna be our first step will be the equine farm and then second step will be the home. So there's just a few things that I wanna go over in here really, really quick. I've done two TED Talks on this topic. Um, your assignment when you leave here today is to watch them both. Watch the first one first from 2016, then 2017, and then hand this card to somebody else and say, please watch this because you'll understand that there is human trafficking in Delaware after you watch this. It's kind of this presentation, but power packed into about 12 minutes. And um, then my contact information is on the other side. Um, the one thing I want you to be aware of, everything is pretty self-explanatory in here, but you have a couple pages in here on different apps. There's 12 different apps right now that seem to be um, the hot, hot buttons for traffickers. Um, and social media and gaming is huge. But I'm gonna give you one example and then we'll take some really quick questions. Um, there's a calculator app that you, when a well-intended parent is looking on a kid's phone to make sure everything is the way it needs to be and there's nothing dangerous, they see this calculator app and think, oh, it's just calculator. But what they don't know is there's a four-digit code that only the child and the perpetrator know that unlocks that. And when it unlocks it, there's pictures and videos and Snapchats and texts that are all protected through that four-digit code. And that's just one of about a dozen and a half that traffickers are using right now. So it's really important to keep yourself informed. Um, and there's a lot of great information online too. FBI and Homeland Security have some really great videos um, for safety with social media with kids. So I probably have about two hot minutes left. I don't even no. know if we have time. If there are any, just questions. I have a couple minutes with just a couple questions. I just wanted one quick question on the house bill that was recently passed. Yes. Um, so it just appears that once again, as you go through these house bills, that the consequences and the penalties for the perpetrators, because I guess if someone gets charged with a crime, they have to go to court and stuff, or you have to be almost victimized again. Does anything truly happen to these? That's a great, great question. So anytime it's across state lines, the feds come in and handle that case. 
Um, and sometimes the feds come in and handle an in-state case as well, it just kind of depends. And also depends if there's immigration issues as well. Um, but to answer your question about penalties, Delaware penalties need to be much, much, much more severe. So we had a, a, the guy in Dover who trafficked two minors and got 20 years. That is not okay with me. That's right. So we had Bridell in 2014 in Salisbury trafficked two women and got 140 plus years. So that's another, we have to start taking this seriously because people right. are seeing these women as prostitutes. Well, they're out there doing, we've got bigger crimes. They're out there selling themselves and they don't take it seriously. They don't understand what this victimization really, really is. So education has to come first, awareness. Legislation is great. We're building piece by piece, but it's only as effective as its implementation. And we have to start driving down the demand. Yeah. And there's a spiritual side to that, and then there's a physical side to that. And I have ideas for both. Amen. Amen. Sir. Take a couple, two more. Educating yourself as parents and community members first um, so that you have information to take to your kids, like showing them that kind of stuff rather than just talking about it. Because when we talk about it, they think we're just overprotective parents that don't really get it. But when you show them things like that and you show them, like FBI has some really great videos specifically for youth that show actual cases of things that have actually happened. So educating yourself first and keeping that keeping that pathway open so if they ever find themselves in that situation, they're always welcome to come back, no matter what. No matter what they have decided to do, no matter what choices they make, they can make choices thinking that it's one thing, but because they're young and naive and don't know, it becomes bigger than them. And if they feel like they don't have a place that's safe to come back home, they're gonna find a place somewhere else. So let them come back with conditions, but they need to be able to know that they can always come back no matter what. There's always going to be a home for you here. Minister Davis, really quickly. Yes, uh, Yolanda, you, you said that you were going to talk about why you don't like the term rescue. Oh, yes. So rescue versus restore. Mm. When you go in and rescue <laughs> somebody, it's it gives that whole sort of victimization mentality where we're going to swoop you out of here because you are not capable, obviously, of making a decision. So we're going to make it for you. Where to restore and retrieve Amen. gives them empowerment. It gives them a not just a victimization to survivor, but going from surviving to thriving. Because many of these women I've talked to, they have associates and bachelor's degrees in criminal justice. Mm. These are smart women. These yes. are not throwaway people that just can't do anything else. Yes. These are people just like us. And if any of us had their trauma, had their background, had their childhood experiences, any of us would be capable of being in that situation. It is but by the grace of God. Yes. There go I. Amen. I have a, I? Hi, I wanted to know what happened to the young lady who was living in the shack? Was she ever sent back to her parents? She, all we know is that she went into DFS custody. Um, and at that point, D 
DFS wasn't giving me any information about anything. <laughs> um, now we're working together because I'm going to get my licensing and my contractual bids through Zoe Ministries with the state. So uh, we're working with PBH and YRS and DFS and all the, all the different agencies within the big kid system so that we can contract and be Medicaid reimbursable for all of our services with those kids. So now we're working pretty closely together um, and we have a really great rela working relationship with them. So right now what we're doing with our kids who we know have been trafficked in Delaware as of this moment, we are sending them out of state to other programs along with hundreds of dollars a day per kid. And I'm saying, and those programs, I'm not saying they're not good programs, but they were, they were youth programs. And some of them saw the federal money come down the pike for trafficking. And they said, oh, okay, well now we're gonna have a trafficking program. And, and it wasn't a specific trafficking specific trauma informed program for trafficking victims. So that's what I wanna build. That's who we're gonna take in our six bed facility. And I think we're gonna get full and we're gonna stay full. And then they're gonna say, Yolanda, when can we expand? So our goal is to eventually, we wanna have a home for, for men, for boys. We wanna have a home for the 18 to 21 year olds that transition because once they're 18, there may be independent living, but they, they need families and churches to follow up and walk with them. This takes years of getting out of this kind of a mindset. So does that answer your question? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.